0: to another episode of Why Comics. Uh, this is episode 3 and uh, this week I am joined by the awesome Dan Butcher, uh, creator of Vanguard and the sexy third, I think we can all agree, of the Awesome Comics podcast. Uh, we talked for about an hour and a half or so about comics and comic creating and other stuff and um, yeah, hope, hopefully you'll enjoy it and um, again it was a really good chat, I really enjoyed talking to Dan about comics um I was feeling a bit under the weather, so I might sound a little bit off. Um so I apologize for that. Um this episode was largely brought to you by Lemsip and Fisherman's friends. Um Yeah, so anyway, uh, like I say, um had a really good chat with Dan. Hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I re- enjoy talking to Dan. And um yeah, here I shall pass you over to pass Dan and pass me. Hello, Dan Butcher. Hello. How are you? How are you sir? I'm good. Yeah, it's good
1: that we've got another hot day on our hands.
0: I'm up in the, the
1: sauna room recording the podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm in the dining room, but I've been out in it all day because, you know, it's not postman weather.
1: No, oh, God, yeah. Have been Despite sat everybody in
0: telling you it's lovely weather for doing your job.
1: No, I'd imagine carting loads of stuff around in the sun. That, that Yeah, not the greatest. That, that,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's still worse. Fit. In, so, well, yeah. I'd like to think that, but I don't seem to be losing any weight. <laughs> I don't seem to be putting any on, so you know, reached a crescendo of okay. balance. Yeah. I'm guessing <laughs> that
1: that balancing point we all kind of strive for. <laughs> Eating tons of shit and then not actually putting it on.
0: I keep thinking I should do one of those fad two week diets, just lose a shit load of weight, and then hope I stay at that. Just like <laughs> shit again, but I don't think it's going to work.
1: No, yeah, I'm pretty sure fad diets don't don't do the job.
0: <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the first episode of Why Fad Diet. <laughs>
1: Just the ham diet. Same <laughs> as economy ham. Just, oh, God, I can't imagine what that would do to you.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, it's not going to end well, is it? Nope. <laughs> or for the people around you. <laughs> but, so anyway, I've, uh, you know, invited you here today to ask you uh, one sort of kind of important question. Yes. Sam Butcher, why comics?
1: They're just amazing. Uh, I love comics. I've loved them since I first got my hands on them. Uh I, it's interesting when listening back, I think it's the one with Tony, when he talked about like the rush to the news agent, I can certainly sort of, uh, I've got so many memories of doing that myself. God, uh, when the Jim Lee X-Men issue one, I think it was like the biggest comic. It was for a long time, the big selling comic of all time. Yeah. That came out. I was like, oh my God, I was down the news agent like every couple of days looking for the second issue. And that was like about a fortnight after the first one came out. It was just, uh, yeah, God, yeah. I love comics for, for, yeah, day dot, really.
0: So, was that the American printing of it or was that the, the that UK was the, reprint?
1: The American printing. There was a shop near me that did kind of import stuff. Uh, I used to, grew up in South Norwood when I, was, when I was a teen. And it used to be this one shop uh, down the bottom of South Norwood Hill that I'd go, go into. And my eyes were blown up. really opened up. I got a. Uh, couple of mates in school like you kind of quickly find out the nerds at the time <laughs> uh, as i'm sure you're attesting like nerds back in the day they weren't cool they were
0: no we, we could smell our own though yeah so.
1: <laughs> they, they were like the hunted they were like the bottom of the, the food chain in secondary school so uh yeah they told me about like there was a comic shop in croydon in the in shops it was called it's right tatty old place that it was like a one of those shops where you buy a unit, like a prefab
0: unit. We used to have an in-shops in Gloucester. It burnt oh. down not long after it opened. <laughs> that's, that's Suspiciously.
1: Hard. Yeah. But there was a shop in, I think it was called The Phantom Zone, I think. I can't quite remember. I know there was. it went on somewhere else, but that was like the first introduction to a proper comic shop, and I just got absolutely stuck in. And it was interesting going from like trying to wait for comics to come along to buy to go into that extreme where there's so much you could never afford all of them so yeah. uh yeah it was interesting
0: yeah i remember putting together a pull list once not long after i started collecting then realizing there was about 30 quids worth of comics which in the <laughs> mid 90s was pretty see i came to pull
1: list really late like when I, I would just go down the shop like every week with me and my mate and see if there's a new comic the one that i collected and if there wasn't, I'd just come back next week. I'd just go back every every week trying to get something. So I I'd, I'd, I can't remember how much money I used to get. I used to do a paper round, and essentially that just went straight into buying yeah. paper. And uh, <clears throat> it was like if if like I couldn't get as, as enough comics as I had money, I would just pick a couple of random ones off the shelf with what I thought looked good. Uh, often getting burned because. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was like the, the just before the image years sort of hit, and I spent a lot of money on crap comics.
0: And yeah, I think most 90s collectors now realize that it's worth more sentimental than it ever is in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I, I recently put all my comics into storage because we we're looking to move house, so I had the chance to go through them all. And the image ones, like from that era, like the Wildstorm. Uh, what was the Extreme Studios Rob had runs? I yeah. just read some. Of it. It's just garbage. It's really, really bad. There's, there's just nothing to it. It's yeah.
0: I, I do I, love that occasionally when you go back through your collection. It's like I go through mine and I'm like, why the fuck have I got so many Lady <laughs> Death comics? <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because like I kind of grew up on uh, quite a decent pedigree in, in secondary school. Like I was reading Gru, uh, Freak Brothers, 2000 AD. And then I went on to that to like the superhero stuff, which is where my heart sort of truly is. And uh, yeah, it kind of uh, maybe I've got a bit of disillusionment at 90s stuff, but always had a soft spot. I remember having a, a Spider-Man annual. uh had like a white cover, and it was Spider-Man versus, you know, the second iteration of the Vulture. I yes. can't remember the guy's name, but he had like the skull cap, which is like a kind of a green W on his head that went over his nose and round mm. on his cheeks. Yeah, and it was like an, an annual that and Spidey was fighting it when he had the cold and I had a cold and then Craven uh, the Hunter turned up later and it was just, god, I must have read that so many times but I don't know about you, there was like uh, bits in the annual which were like just prose and I never ever read them
0: <laughs> No, I never did, it just seemed like too much work
1: I imagine it's just all filler that stuff, it's like someone in the UK Marvel offices, oh look, we've got 20 pages of comic, we've got 50 pages. So stick in a crossword or two, a
0: bit of prose. Crossword, a poster that nobody will ever rip out. <laughs> yeah. A uh, coloring in bit. And... That's it. And a five page short story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then we're done. Bang. <laughs> Annual 1988 or whatever.
0: That's... <laughs> <laughs> it smashed another one out, lads. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, So sort of you say the superhero stuff is you know where comics sort of won your heart kind of thing. Yeah. So was it X Men? Was Uh, that what was it? How did you find out about X Men? Was that? I think it was literally
1: coming down to the news agent and then seeing the X Men issue one and like I was like oh my god I'm on this and then just started tracking down all the Jim Lee stuff. Uh, It was literally going back into the like back issues and grabbing X Men stuff out, but. I started getting into like Cap in a big way, and in the '80s, and I, I collected him all the way up to uh, Cap Wolf, and that's the issue. I famously like I, I'm not doing this anymore. This is fucking garbage. And I think I jumped out just before an era when it actually got good again. But uh, I was like, one of that comic mart. I used to go there on a Sunday, only like maybe twice a year, and get Cap issues. Go through the the back issue boxes with me me and a couple of mates, and that was just absolutely great days. I used to love it because you could get, I can remember like comics being a lot cheaper than they were. I know know they are, but you could get a good couple of comics for a quid, and it wasn't a problem at all. And they were absolutely pristine, you still didn't have pristine condition. And I used to love like you had like 20 back issues of Cap that I didn't have, and it just, yeah, fantastic stuff.
0: Yeah, that whole back issue thing is probably one of the most exciting things about being a collector. I think for me, I've always joked just the closest I'll ever be to being Indiana Jones, just going <laughs> through that long box, looking for those key issues you're missing.
1: It's good. Like, uh, I can remember the caps of there's a streets of poison series, which was fantastic drawn by Ron Lim. I can't remember the, the writer, but this, mm-hmm. there's a drug on the street. I think it's called ice and a, a explosion goes off in the warehouse with so caps in and the ice drug sort of like, uh, bonds with these super soldier particles. And it, it starts driving him crazy and he starts turning on his friends and they have to uh, get Cap and basically just take out all the super soldier serum. So he's just like a normal normal buff dude at the end of the series. <laughs> it doesn't last long. I think like his body replicates it or some, something. They were, they we're not going to have a, a depowered Cap for too long. So uh, yeah, they undid that. But that was like the 80s where everything drug related was bad. Like you had video yeah. games with the drug, relate, drug messages at the start. Winners don't do drugs or that crap. <laughs> I remember they had a, a video game about like uh, on the Amiga where you like flew an attack helicopter and blew up drug fields in Bolivia or something. And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> bloody the the <laughs> the uh, what do you call it? The propaganda <laughs> goes pretty far in on this one."
0: Uh, <laughs> I remember the '90s ones that used to put the little one-page PSA comics, didn't they? Yeah, you know. Where's Timmy gone? Timmy did drugs. I was like, Shit. <laughs> it's like a mournful Alfred and Robin talking about his school friend or something.
1: There's been like quite a lot of character, uh, comic characters that have done drugs. Wasn't there uh, the Speedy, the famous cover of yeah, the. Yeah, I think
0: Speedy was the famous one, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. there was the Spider Man one that did it first because they weren't going to let him put it out because it couldn't have the comics code on it. Or yeah, the that comics was code a code approved thing.
1: That was kind of like a, a, a toothless beast, wasn't it? The comic code as well. I mean, yeah. But yeah, I guess drug usage, in the, all those stories, they're not glamorizing the stuff. Jesus Christ, if anything, you'd like, you wouldn't like—you want any part of it.
0: Well, no, that's it. And she's the kind of person who came at a train spotting or something and be like, I really fancy some smack.
1: Yeah, smack don't look too bad.
0: <laughs> train spotting really sold me yeah. on that. 10 pounds of smack,
1: please, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: you getting a comments code slapped on this episode. <laughs>
1: I don't think any of the comics I've ever, that's a lie. I was going to say none of the comics I've made without uh, a comics authority thing. But I think a couple of them have, a couple of them haven't got swearing or mostly for other people drawing them. So,
0: so sort of from reading comics, then when did you go into <laughs> thinking about creating your own making them?
1: When as soon as I was like reading them, I started making my own stuff. Uh, like it was usually like on one side of a four and just drawing a load of random boxes and filling them with stories. Uh, usually like derivative characters that it'd be like half Batman, half Spider-Man. And I would give him a name or something. And then uh, just doing that, I can remember tracing out of like uh, Spider-Man comics and then drawing my characters on the outlines of what, so I do like the rough outline of like yeah. Spider-Man doing a jump and then fill him in the details of a character I made up. And then uh, going into secondary school, I'm not sure how many people did I met There was another uh, guy I used to knock around with, and we used to make our own comics with our own characters, and it would be like an A4 piece of paper folded up, well, a couple of sheets of A4, and we'd write our own comics, and they would kind of go back and forth. So I would draw mine with a cliffhanger, and then he would pick it up in his, and then we'd go back and forward. Nice. So that that was interesting, doing stuff like that. yeah they're usually uh, completely inappropriate and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not the kind of thing you want your teachers to get ha- your hands on. No. Imagine two sort of like teenage boys, what, what kind of comics they're creating. It's, uh yeah, heavily influenced by uh, image stuff as well. So you can only imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <But laughs> then that fits and legs. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then uh, I think I went to like, after going to, I think a university, did my comics a massive blow because I didn't have fuck all money and anything I did have was going on drinking or going out. (laughs) And, uh, they all want, I did like an illustration and design course. And all the time I was working, it was doing like proper stuff, not so much comic stuff. I'd kind of doodle comics, but then when I came out, I went straight back to it because it was like, this is where, this is where I want to do. This is like making comics. I don't like even now I don't really want to do it as a job
0: no it's one of those things I always fancied it as a job again I was sort of at that age where comics wasn't proper art so nobody was teaching you how to do it Mm. beyond sort of teaching yourself by reading comics and that sort of thing and yeah it just wasn't seen as a proper feasible job kind of thing so I just sort of put it to one side and never really bothered with it just did it for fun
1: I think you mentioned it on a previous episode about like making a hobby into a, a, a job or an income, and I honestly think it would ruin it.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: I just I don't think I would really enjoy it anymore. Uh, I'd like maybe said that I wouldn't wouldn't mind giving it a go. If someone said right, here's enough money to make comics for five years, I'd certainly give it a crack. But I think the day-to-day business aspect of it would be the stuff that. Would end up like doing my head in. So I freelanced uh, design illustration for a couple of years, and that was just murder. Yeah, <laughs> not built for that at all. Doing the jobs fine, but constantly trying to get new jobs in and contacting people, and oh, it was, it was like a juggling act. I just wasn't, it wasn't my forte. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I suppose with sort of Vango because it's a web comic, and it's is it a page goes up weekly?
1: I, I do two pages a week. Two pages one, a week. One Wednesday, one Friday.
0: So I mean sort of it's a job within the sense of you've set yourself deadlines kind of thing that you have to hit kind of thing.
1: Yeah. uh, I'm thinking about this early. I'm pretty decent with deadlines. I think because where I've got into kind of like a design and print production background, everything's kind of quite structured and ordered. And I have like dates of when stuff has to be done during a week to hit the target. So by Saturday I can tell the next page if I'm in trouble or not by by the time I get to the Saturday previous and if I need to put my foot down or not. So it's not those. I just kind of like blindly floating along and oh, I'll stick up a page here or stick up a page there. There's a kind of structure to doing certain things on a certain part of the week. There's times where like I've come to like Wednesday or Thursday and I've not done half of a page and it's going up on the Friday as uh, oh fucking hell. And I've really had to like put my foot down and, and get it done. Uh, one of the things about uh, the web stuff is you, you're, because there's the tight deadline, it's just getting it out the door and not fussing over stuff too much. Yeah. Because one of the things I always think, of like, it's like, right, you've got a comic book you're going to make, you've got six months to make it. I just personally, I think a lot of artists and creators might be a bit undisciplined and just spend too much time doing certain things where I'd like to have that deadline to kind of get it done and dusted and move on to the next piece.
0: Yeah. I suppose it's easy, to, if you've, you know, got an open ended deadline to sort of George Lucas, your pages and, over-tweak Indeed, them. yeah. Uh.
1: I mean, I've done that when, because I'm quite a lot of Photoshop stuff. I can go like heavy on effects, and like you really work a page, and then you're like, oh fucking hell, I've got to do this now for the rest of them. <laughs> and where you might have been like, because it takes months to get an issue done, where I started in January and it's relatively quiet. By the time it rolls around to sort of March, April, suddenly things in life are really busy, and I've I've like made a rod for my own back. so
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i find that even with just doing that robot thing for march of yeah. the robots is when i had the two weeks off i was putting a lot of time into it once i was back at work it was kind of like that'll do i'll fill the detail in at a later date if it's, i feel like it I kind of thing out. so I you don't it... realize how much you're fucking yourself in the long run
1: yeah <laughs> i mean no, i don't when i talk to other creators especially people who are just starting out and think generally there's such uh with comics they think it's very easy very easy to do and like there's well, oh, comic that's easier. I can get that done. I start drawing it, and bang, I'll have an issue put together. But it's so difficult. It's a real long burn. Uh, you're only kind of going to get maybe done out by, by animation. The amount of work you got to put in to see the the turnaround and the effect. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, comics. God, yeah. There's so many. There's a lot of artists I known that have gone into it and then they burnt out after a couple of pages because they don't realise the the commitment and the amount of stuff you got to put in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've sort of said it before, but that shows a lot in the small press thing the amount of people who do an issue one of four, and then you never see anything after the issue one.
1: Yeah, it's why I kind of recommended that people should try to hand it an anthology. Do four pages, and I'll tell you whether it's your cup of tea or not. Maybe you just want to do uh, anthologies or like do five page comics for people, and you don't have to come up with your grand epic like lord of the rings take on <laughs> in <laughs> comics do you know what i mean it, do, it doesn't have to be like that I'm, even though i'm like 16 issues into mine i'm just having fun and, and doing it as it goes along so
0: uh well yeah, i said it, i mean it, it shows because i mean you're doing a web comic which let's be honest there's probably even less money in a web comic than there is exactly yeah. printing them out and selling them at a car i know you like do them as trades once a, there's actually no
1: money in making web comics.
0: No, it's so essentially you just get an that You can get a decent ad revenue from it, but
1: there's not too. There's a couple of people that do it, and they like they work on doing stuff like uh, but selling merchandise and stuff. And it's almost like again, that you to me, that's moving towards that business of I've got a merchandise and sell and monetize everything I'm doing. And it's like oh, I don't really want to do that. I just want to make comics.
0: Well, that's it, and I think <laughs> it's easy to get sidetracked so by. I've always, you know, stick at what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Let the other stuff come naturally. I think a lot of people are like, you know, I've done this webcomic and now you can buy T-shirts off it. It's like, but the comic's starting to slip because I'm designing the T-shirts or the posters or the... And 95% of the time, the people who say they will buy that stuff don't actually buy it.
1: (laughs) No, I I mean, I found that out with uh, Prince. Yeah. About, like, uh, they're okay where you give away for... uh, Kickstars and stuff, but essentially if you take in prints to shows, generally I think the rule of thumb is they don't do too well. That that's purely from my experience. But uh I know some people do great with prints, but I think you it's you gotta get a certain niche or hit a certain thing with a print. I mean if you do I do a print of some of my characters, most people won't won't know who the hell they are. So they're yeah. not really interested. When they're kind of more generic and more <clears throat> like got a tone or a feel about them, that's when they're they'll do a bit better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what, I mean, I suppose you're sort of limited with wall space with regard to prints as well. It's like a lot of the prints I've got, either free through Kickstarters or that I have bought off people, just sit in a folder now. Yeah, same. Which, I've got a big I'm folder. Be perfectly honest, I rarely go back and look at it.
1: Yeah, I've got a big folder. I keep saying to myself, oh, when I get the time, I'll, I'll go and get a load of frames and put these up on the wall. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know who, yeah, you're sort of deluding yourself in that much because that day's never going to come.
0: That's it, it's the, uh, when I've got my studio
1: Yeah And I've got loads of time and their responsibilities And it's a fucking dream world I'll, I'll do all these things I've been putting off
0: So when the kids move out Yeah
1: <laughs> Then I've got no energy to do anything it's, That's yeah. it.
0: <laughs> so, so sort of like Going the webcomic route What made you decide on that Over doing a printed issue of Vanguard well, And getting out into the world that way
1: I think I I used to go like Tony's mentioned. I used to go to, I've been to a couple of those UK CACs, the United Kingdom comic art convention back in the day when I was a teen and people were making stuff there, but uh, it didn't really, I didn't really put two and two together and think, well, I can do this too. When I came out of uni, started working and getting into comics again, drawing and reading. Everyone just was doing web comics and I didn't really ever investigate this, the, the comic scene. I didn't even really think it was still going. I just, I don't know what the fuck I was on really. <laughs> so I just thought I, I, I said, well, I need to get better at doing web comics or do better at doing comics and drawing. So I went on, there's a, a forum called pencil chat. that still runs to this day that you can post work up and get honest feedback. Like Tony gave uh, honest feedback in his blog with the, the never are in anything. It was yeah. like the, the honest feedback month. You put, put stuff on there and there's a warning saying that you're going to get constructive criticism. And if you don't want that. Don't be posting your stuff here because I've seen plenty of people post stuff up and someone like a, an established artist would come along and say and Z's wrong with this and they've thrown their toys out the pram. So like I was posting them there for a while and then I, I thought I'm getting my standard up, but I've kind of just, I've not got any direction. I'm just drawing and making stuff and I don't really, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing my time. <laughs> so I, was, I saw someone uh, advertising for an artist in the, like on the, the bulletin board. I said, oh, well, hell, I'll give it a go. And I started drawing an issue of uh, on City. I think it was issue two was my first one. And then that was like a kind of trial by fire. Just given a script and started putting a comic together. And then I I found out how to do what I wanted to do. And then I thought, oh, this doesn't seem too bad. And then I worked on another webcomic and then went and started doing my own, which was Vanguard. So uh, it just seemed the way to do it. And then suddenly when I started getting involved with the uh, awesome comic, boys on the podcast, Vince and Tony, did I find that, that, that the community was, <clears throat> there's a community here for small press. There's people interested in it and reading it and creating it. And it was just like, why didn't I know about this? And I was, I was in.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a weird thing until we started Troops. I didn't realize just how big a community, the small press community was. And it just seems mm. to keep growing year on year at the moment. Um, but yeah, it just, because when I used to go to cons in the early mid 2000s, it was you, know, you had a few creator own tables but it wasn't the thing it is now no where you get shows like bam or us and that or, well size where it's largely dominated by small press creators yeah above I think all it's else
1: fantastic i i really i just love it like the people creating their stuff and making comics and telling stories it's, it's yeah just it's Mind-blowing. Even on Twitter, like some people, are, are, someone will come across the timeline, and I look at their stuff, and I like, bloody, oh, they're a comic creator based in the UK, and their stuff's amazing, but I've never heard of them. So yeah, that's I it. I mean, just discover something new
0: every day that's been out there for years.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you think, oh, Christ, where you come from? I like, well, they've been there all the time, but it's just you need to kind of draw all these kind of people together in a in a kind of a bit of a group, so we're yeah, all more aware of each other. Now, it's it's come it's coalescing. Everyone's coming together. I think.
0: Yeah, uh, I think so. I think with the group on facebook and that it's brought a huge amount of people together
1: and uh i've said as well like the the kind of the creative process now like the print quality we can get and for the price is so good i mean making your own book and putting it next to like one of the big two uh, a professional is like well there's hundreds thousands of examples out there in the small press
0: yeah people doing just that well yeah to be fair if you've held you know your average small press comic up against a DC one, you know, and said, you know, which one's not the professional one. A site, You know, didn't have the logos or the titles or anything. You yeah. wouldn't know. Mm. Print quality, art quality, it's all...
1: It's on, all kind a, of, on a yeah, level up.
0: playing field. I mean, the only difference is to pay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One thing I sort of noticed about DC, and this is relatively, I'm not sure if this is still current, because kind of I've gone way towards buying trades now, as opposed to getting floppies or singles, because they seem really overpriced, and it's just a bit of a pain in the ass to keep getting them. But uh, they, they seem to like, sort of, they want a house style, and to get everyone to draw like the same, or yeah. in a certain style, and it's like, just, that doesn't appeal at all. Why Why not let the artist be the artist they're going to be?
0: Well, that was and, always the beauty of comics, wasn't it? Mm. Is that you could have like four Superman titles a month and each one would have its own unique look. Yeah. And yeah, yep. now it's all fairly generic and there's a through line in the design of the characters. Which is uh, like, yeah,
1: I, mm, I can... I, I think the readership's definitely sort of changed in what people want from comics, like from superhero stuff and the main, the main fair. It seems to be they they want a lot cleaner and kind of <clears throat> more corporate style. But like the big breakout artists that you talk about are the writers, the ones that are going off the beaten track and doing something different. No one yeah. says it's like Danny Warren Johnson. I wish he was more like the house style. Yeah. So do they? <laughs> but they're the people they're going after. So.
0: Well, I mean, even yeah. with regards to like Tom King's Mr. Miracle, the art style in that was so different to what you've become used to for DC. I think that's one of the things that made that book such a standout.
1: Yeah, I mean that was one that was recommended to me, and as soon as I got it, I was like, oh, "This is fucking great!" And I had to get the second one. So good. I mean, yeah, those kind of comics where they they're, they're in continuity, but they can be read out of continuity by someone who's not so up on the the character and still get it. You, you're doing something right.
0: That's it, and it's just so nicely self-contained within itself that it's you're not feeling the weight of thirty odd years of Mister Miracle exactly. the continuity yeah. in that. It's all. Everything it's, I needed to know about the character was in that book.
1: It's the same with the uh, the Vision comic, uh, where he has the family and the suburban family. And that was uh, like two trades, and uh, that was I can't remember who did that. Is my awful name recollection. Just on that one as well. Tom wasn't King it? As well. Right, there you go. So uh, that was great. Like I I knew about the character from being sort of like reading Marvel for years, so I knew about the Ultron stuff. And but there was like the little gap between where my knowledge stopped up till kind of present day that was kind of glossed over in a page or two. And then then I'm into the story and there's the vision and watching this kind of play out. It was fantastic. Yeah. Those don't want to talk spoilers, but like the most recent Spider-Man film far from home, there's like the, the two stingers in the trailer. And the first one is so great. And like, as I was coming out of the cinema, I was saying to my wife, like, that's what good comics are about at the end when you got to, it, and there's a cliffhanger. Yeah. You're like, oh my God! I can't believe that happened to that person. And you'd be counting the days till the next one came out, so you could find out how how the story picked up.
0: That's it. It's it's like what you say with the X Men number one, and then pretty much going in there every day after it came out.
1: So where's this, where's the next one? And just
0: <laughs> I mean. My experience of comics before I got into comics was daily strips in the newspaper so it was literally the next day I know it was yeah. only a three panel thing but in your mind you still kind of think like next one should be out really soon <laughs> <laughs> it kind of builds that impatient thing in your head kind of yeah but mentality we I think it was
1: mentioned about the stuff like you don't have to go back in time to read the comics from the scratch you can just kind of jump in the idea of trying to go back and read every single batman comic is intimidating yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was and you start to, have to do be,
0: If the editor's box that used to be like, yeah. you know, what Superman's talking about here happened in Action Comics number 653, kids. Yeah. And then if yeah. you want to go back and check it out, you can. Or now you could Google it and just fill in the backstory yourself.
1: Yeah. You can literally just read
0: like a wiki page that someone's put together. But that it was, was kind of when comics weren't under the weight of their own bullshit, kind yeah. of. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was like they were always kind of a bit special. And if you had knowledge of characters and background, it's because you'd been in there read the colleagues comics and done your research or, or knew the source material. <clears throat> Wherever now it's just a matter of looking up on a Wikipedia article and getting a bit of getting, filling in the blanks that way. Yeah. And uh, it's like one of those things that when a, a smaller group of people having this, it's relatively elitist and then it gets opened up. The thing you get opened up, you'd love opened up to everyone and it, it changes from what it was. It's, it's it can be difficult, and some yeah. some fans don't handle it well.
0: No, yeah. I think for me, there used to be a beautiful simplicity about comics. For example, Bruce Wayne became Batman because of a senseless crime where his parents yeah. were murdered. But now it's like, oh, let's delve into that. It was a conspiracy to kill the Waynes, and yeah. it's like don't that took that. away the whole beauty of Batman.
1: Yeah, it's just they, they did something similar. to Peter Parker's parents like being secret agents or something. It's like this is this is detrimental to the character. That's this it. doesn't it was,
0: help. It was a senseless act. It was the same with I'm not hundred percent up on Uncle Ben in the comics, but certainly Uncle Ben in the Toby Maguire films where they felt the need to tie it all into Sandman. Yeah. It's, it's like, like no, it was a random act of violence. Yeah. And that's what made it so meaningful. So,
1: yeah. It was 'cause kind of if there's like a conspiracy, I don't know, it kind of yeah it just takes the edge off whereas it's just like well that can happen to you that can happen to me so you can kind of connect with it a bit more but when their parents are are spies or you know just like oh no it doesn't work for me it's those simple motivations that get people kind of going that's it and it's
0: just so convoluted (laughs) And you one, try and follow it on something, and it's like, you know, you need to check this out, and this out, and this out. It's like links buried within links buried within links.
1: <laughs> one thing that fucks me off, they do they do this more and more, is when uh, like they start looking at Batman uh, now, like for a modern frame. So why, if he's got all this money, why doesn't he help out the poor people and stuff? And it's like, you can't push, like, views of 2019 onto a character that was made, like, over 40 years ago. Like you can't—the level of scrutiny won't hold up. And if you're so obsessed by bringing this kind of realism, and why doesn't this character do this or do that? This maybe this isn't for you because there's a dude What's dressed it? up as a bat running around. It's not up for that kind of scrutiny. I don't feel.
0: And it's just a general misunderstanding of Batman because it's yes, he's got the money, he could do that, but he's got that bloodlust thirst for vengeance yeah. that he will go out into the night every night looking for a criminal whether it's the criminal that killed his parents or the figurative replacement, of,
1: There's that comic panel from a Spider-Man one where he's facing off, I think it's against Sauron. And uh, Spider-Man says, well, this genome change you've got, you could cure cancer. And he goes, yeah, but I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) That's just comics. (laughs) It's just, you know, I I I don't feel like kind of, this really kind of heavy-handed kind of intrusion into these characters and trying and tear them apart. I'm kind of really over, like, t- too realistic takes on characters and pulling them apart and stuff. This is tearing the magic but, away. <clears throat> yeah. It, it's just like, oh, man, really? It, why, why have you done that? And usually it's not to add anything. It's it's to tear them down because you're not sure what else to do with them. or.
0: Well, that's it there's a mystique to the characters it's the same as like when rob zombie did his halloween just you know on a film again but when rob zombie did his halloween film so like, i don't need to know why michael myers became michael myers no yeah he was scary because you know did once know. i found out he killed his pets and his kid from school it's kind of like yeah
1: <laughs> yeah okay we can see that coming it was that, this, that yeah.
0: character's lost all his mystique and isn't scary anymore they seem to do he that is a, just lot a guy thing. in a mask.
1: Like, the the joke is indefinitely more uh, intimidating when it's just a random a person that you don't quite know where the backstory is. Yeah. And trying to fill it out. And it's just like, uh, they they same, they fought, I, in my opinion, they fucked up with uh, Logan Wolverine doing that. I don't need his backstory, it's irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, the that. only reason they seem to be doing it is for a few quids, which is arguably the creatively the worst thing you can do.
0: That's it. And then origin stories have changed so much now that it's just yeah it's like a, I don't know which to believe anymore. So
1: <laughs> it used to be like the good superhero story was uh, bathed in like tragedy. It always had to be a tragedy that yeah so and so this happened. Uh, I, I wrote a little kind of blog post about like I see a lot of people, especially on the uh, some of the Facebook groups, the the American creators, they uh, make a superhero character. And it's invariably like a knockoff of Spawn or Batman or Deadpool or someone. And it's like their take on this character. And it's like, well, it's not going to be as good as what they've already done because it's already been done. And then they use the generic thing of like them losing a loved one. And it's like, this has been done to bloody death. You can't keep fucking rolling out the same stuff and people not to roll their eyes and said, well, I've seen this a million times before. It's not interesting. There's, there's a million ways you can kind of like tell stories and, and and play with narratives. And just to keep rehashing the same ones is yeah, like, we don't need to see Spider Man's origin anymore on, on screen. We, we know Spider Man's he's Spider Man, that's just we can get on with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it 100%. And it's, I mean, there's something much more interesting in a character that becomes a superhero that comes from a happy life. You know, both yeah. parents are alive, lives a good life kind of thing, but just has that drive makes that drive the sort of... There's something much more interesting about that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. But
0: I, I guess it's just the easy elevator pitch, kind of, you know. His parents are yeah. moving.
1: But when it's weird because I think that that seems so obvious to me. And then I look at kind of Kickstarters or comics that kind of are doing well. And then I you know, kind of peer into what they're doing. And I feel like it, you're not really reinventing, reinventing the wheel here. You kind of just... It's, the same old stuff, just dressed up in, in a new wig, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. It's one of those things you look around and think, Am I the fucking mad one? <laughs> like peering out from the barred cell. Like, <laughs> I like, Why are you buying all this stuff, man? I, I, I moaned about it on the last Awesome Comic Book podcast, but there was a comic I backed on Kickstarter and that got to 44K in backing. And I read it and I was like, This is just absolute dreck. It's really bad.
0: Yeah, there's nothing more disappointing than that. I always, even more so than movies or albums, sort of a really disappointing comic really disappoints yeah. me.
1: And for me, like, the, the writing is the absolute base of a comic, like the the building foundation. All the yeah. other stuff is built on it. And if if it's got a crappy foundation made out of sand, the rest of it can't hold, because the, the great art will only go through so far. I mean... I'll pick up the comic for the art, but I'll stay for the writing. And if the writing's absolute garbage, I won't be around for the second one. Yeah. And I probably won't won't want to pick up any more of that writer's work.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's, like I say, it's just disappointing. I think that's kind of going to be the undoing. It seems to be coming down from the big two as well at the minute.
1: Yeah, I kind of... I see like a lot of stuff that's going on in the big T, but only through kind of like news articles and you got the, the constant kind of arguing on Twitter, which I just stay out of completely. I mean, yeah. for either pro, that argument. Yeah, either pro or against, I'm just not interested in any part of that argument because it, it just, it, it's arguing online. Yeah. What are you going to do? There's always people going to be arguing online. I don't think it's ever going to settle anything. So if you, want, I'd rather spend that time making comics or reading comics than, than arguing with people. And when I've done it in the past, it usually ends up me getting massively frustrated about something I can't do.
0: Yeah, like I said, it's not an argument you can mm-hmm. win because the go the fallback is always you just don't understand comics. And it's kind of yeah. well, I could you know talk about why I feel I understand comics, but you're not going to listen. So. No.
1: so yeah, so like kind of all I see is coming from the big two stuff, especially Marvel. They seem to. Uh, be employing people not based on their talent but on other attributes which is kind of like uh, you, your talent has got to be the thing in like what what do you bring to the table as a creator all other elements are relevant for me it's your skills as a creator
0: yeah yeah, yeah. it seems to be a hopefully hope celebrity bleeding into it yeah
1: i hope we kind of change that and and just move back to Picking up people who, who genuinely give a shit about comics and creators. That's like to be fair. That's why I'm so much more into the the small press stuff because there's no editorial uh, involvement. It's just creators making what they want to create, and often that's gold.
0: Yeah, there's
1: so Definitely. much stuff. It's stuff so much more exciting amazing. stuff happening. Yeah, and there's no like I said editorial mandate saying, "Well, we've got to hit this or do that." And yeah, no, no, none no. of that.
0: So was it sort of like through doing the Awesome Pod that you became more and more aware of the small press world? or sort of How did Completely. you come across Vince and Tony? And...
1: Literally, Vince messaged me out of the blue and said, do you want to do a podcast? And I, was, I wasn't listening to any podcasts. And I thought, yeah, fuck it, why not? I'll do it. And then a week later, I met up with Tony for a coffee in uh, near the Shard. And then that Sunday, we recorded the first show, and I'd never really spoken to Vince before. I think... During the week, he'd sent me the first issue of the Red Mars from Mars. And I think the idea was that <clears throat> Vince was uh, kind of created now. Tony was very much had, like, was a big comic reader since day dot. And yeah. I sort of had the web comic angle covered. So with between the three of us, we'd have a bit of knowledge to kind of bring to bear on the subject, which... Uh, and we just kind of got on. I mean... With what 400, uh, how many episodes we've done now? There's quite a few episodes under about now. The awesome yeah. comment podcast, and that seems to be going some strength to strength. and I'm, I love doing the shows of them, but uh, yeah, like I, I literally got introduced to the small press uh community through the show. And like we'd have people on, and with they'd send through work or I'd buy some of their work and be fucking hell, this is amazing. And uh, I've just been continually blown away by getting people on and, and seeing what they're creating,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge tool, even just as from a con point of view of opening the door to the wider world.
1: Mm. I mean, like, Tony has opened my eyes to books that I wouldn't really go for myself. But then he sort of said, check this out or bought me something like that Kingdom by John McNaught. Oh, man, that is amazing.
0: It's... Yeah, that's on my to grab list. <laughs>
1: it kind of for those who haven't uh, read it or bought it, it's essentially like a a family, Uh, the mother, son and the daughter go away on like a holiday. I think you mentioned it on one of the previous shows. So I won't go all all over it, but like there's little moments in it that remind me of holidays that I went on with my family, like in the country, in in the UK and being at service stations and like going to the bathroom, there's noise outside the bathroom window, like a bird or something. And there's this little moments like that. It's like, God, it's like real it's like someone going through your brain and flicking on little bits of your memory. Yeah. So do you remember this? And even though it's not exactly the same, it's so similar. And so kind of the, the, the art and the writing is so kind of not vague, but it, it, it touches on so many things that it, it can't help, but fire up this, the, the memory of, uh, of youth.
0: Yeah. That's... Yeah. Fantastic book. That's a great. I mean, I find comics quite nostalgic anyway, particularly as I get older and go back into filling gaps from when I used to buy them. Yeah, it's it's something I always loved about single issues—the uniqueness of the single issue, the ads, the letter pages, all the shit you don't really get in comics anymore.
1: Yeah, like all those it's like kind a of
0: corporate bullshit page at the back, and yeah, <laughs> you used to get like the
1: kind of the ads page where people basically just pay a couple of bucks, or whatever, and you get an ad. And it was like learn to draw superheroes, kung fu, and just all this random stuff.
0: I said mail so, order back issues,
1: and uh, obviously we at the time I I had no insight into American culture, and that was like fucking hell. Look, there's American culture. Is this all the stuff they do? And we, I think during that time of the, the sort of the 80s and the early 90s, <clears throat> the American culture sort you would only ever really see it on TV and in films. Yeah, in it always seemed very glamorous to me. And when seeing part of the comic was another sort of like look into this kind of world, but. Uh, yeah, that's all changed now. It's it's odd. You think the world won't change. Uh, I don't know if you do think that, but the world changes so quickly around you. That
0: yeah, 100%. Well, you've Well, gone
1: from that, that worldview of sort of being, wow, look at this. And then now we read about <laughs> shit around the globe that you wish you hadn't read.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to read and look at the ads and it'd be like an ad for a TV show that would never come over here. And you'd be like, Americans get such great TV. <laughs> or the computer games. You'd be like, that looks amazing. Or the... Even, like, you know, the hot dogs or whatever. Yeah. I can remember, like, you know, like thinking... Hot dogs what, in a tin, you just kind of like, that looks amazing. What the fuck's
1: a Three Musketeers bar?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, What's
1: that? And, like, they always used to be massive in the adverts. Like, there was an excavator pushing aside some rubble for a Three Musketeers bar. That's it. I, like, I have no idea what the hell that is.
0: It'd I do remember seeing... Nasty, it nasty, but it must be the Chocolate yeah. of Kings.
1: <laughs> I remember seeing an advert for uh, Captain Power, and, like... God, like 20 years later, finding out there was actually like a TV show that you bought toys with and you could shoot at the TV playing a game no, where, when the show was on. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And they had that those toys and that TV show showing on Saturday. We didn't have any of that. <laughs> it was like looking over the, the garden fence at like your neighbor who's a lot more well off and got these slab toys. You get just look, you can't touch or play with them.
0: <laughs> that's it as you sit there with the uk comic with a twizzler bar on the yeah. cover
1: <laughs> it's got an american reprint that's a month so, old
0: <laughs> so were you sort of into the uk reprints and the
1: yeah like uh, i used
0: to star blazer and
1: i used to get a stub when i only had a chance to get the star blazer when we went on holiday i think like uh once a year we used to go like to a caravan or something or to camp park and like they always used to have the commando and Starblazer stuff and I was just on them like a car bonnet man.
0: That I was to... always the one for me that it was like, you know, that is your one that will last you the holiday. Yeah. And it's not it's not your 20 page Transformers UK. No. This is your 40 to 50 page.
1: So it's like blasting I can remember uh, like say when do you get when do you get the next delivery of these in? And so I might be in next week. I so said, fuck, I'll go home on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so will it be in on Monday or on Tuesday morning or something? <laughs> That's how much of the holiday revolved around that. I remember a Starblaze one called uh, Axel the Avenger, and it was like a, a role, like a choose your own adventure, but the comic. And you like you got to a bit and you said, Right, if you do this, turn to panel 86. If you do that, turn to panel 102. And that was just absolutely enthralling at the time. I just couldn't get enough of that comic. I've yet to buy it on eBay. It's loads of that stuff that's on the watch list. So, oh, yeah, I used to love that, but can I? Justify spending fifteen quid on the on a rose tinted glasses.
0: <laughs> eBay's porn for the nostalgic. <laughs> it really is. Because I'd forgotten all about Starblazer until you guys mentioned it on the pod. I was like, I fucking forgotten about Starblazer. So like, uh, oh, I have clear memories of reading Commando, but I used to buy Starblazer more because I was always a sci-fi kid. Yeah, but was... it just completely went out of my head.
1: Why they can't reprint them? I presume it's a rights issue, but God, man, I'd be all over that book.
0: Mm-hmm. There's so many comics from my youth I'd love to see him reprint. Yeah. It's like Bits doing his um Stormforce. Stormforce one, which I'd forgotten <clears> all about Stormforce too, just mentioned it. But even I wasn't stuff like
1: with that. Stormforce. But go
0: on. Yeah, even stuff like the ones they used to put in Lookin'. Like the T V tie in ones. Yeah. I'd love to see some of that stuff collected and put out in a trade.
1: I can remember the art being really good on them as well.
0: Yeah, because they used to the Bill and Ted one was the one I used to I bought looking was it weekly or fortnightly? Whatever looking was, I, when that was in there, I bought that every week for that comic. Nice, and you know a free neighbours poster. But
1: Harold <laughs> <laughs> Bishop and Maud Marge was it Maud? I can't remember her bloody name now.
0: Madge, wasn't ne- it?
1: Madge, yeah, Madge. I mean, I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch that back in uni. Like if you saw two episodes in a day, that was a good day at university. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's weird now, I wish I could go back in time and say, look, why don't you just make comics instead of watching fucking Neighbours, you knob. <laughs> but uh, like, uh, The UK stuff, we used to get the Transformers one like religiously that was like on, on order from the news agent and uh, <clears throat> the Action Force which was just essentially reprints from the American G.I. Joe comic. Yeah. And I think the that Action Force these...
0: one was really dark. I mean, the Transformers one was as well, to be fair. Yeah, but... there like, were characters that would die in it. Yes, that's it. They had no qualms about killing off the character you loved.
1: I mean, the we had the uh, Jeff Darrow and uh, Simon Furman on, and they are arguably like done some of the favourite work I've seen on the Transformers stuff. And, yeah, they used to have characters getting killed, ripped apart, and they'd sometimes introduce characters that weren't toys, because essentially you're right in a toy line. Yeah. Think, oh, well, this character's going to die. And then that wouldn't, but then another character would. you know, like, oh, okay. I think that's where I've got my sort of thing of killing characters off if it serves the story.
0: Yeah, well I mean that's something with Vanguard is that you're not afraid to kill characters off.
1: No, I don't think you should. You should definitely have like the kind of George R. R Martin of if there's the threat of death in the comic and a character dying that makes it just so much more interesting for me. I don't like a character dying and then 10 issues later they come back through some regeneration pool. I mean yeah. I, can de- I can deal with that but if I'm kind of having a continuous story, I, I don't want that kind of the threat of death being taken away because that's the the ultimate loss, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, do you sort of introduce characters with the idea that they are essentially cannon fodder or?
1: Sometimes they're like when I, I did the first run and the, the initial team kind of get about uh, two thirds of them just ever half die. I kind of knew which ones were going to be dead and which ones were going to be going to the second arc of the story. But even though those characters that were in it, I, I sort of write it with a destination where I'm going to. If it ends up a situation where they die, they they will. If it makes the story better, that's what I'll do. Go put them through the ringer, the that's characters.
0: It. Yeah. I used to, when I was making comics, well, you know, not making comics, but as a kid making comics just for my hmm. own amusement kind of thing, I used to make little cardboard cutouts of figures. Nice. And then I just occasionally just batter the shit out of them. <laughs> and whichever ones didn't survive that battering were the ones that were going to die in my comics. <laughs> I, think... I, I dread to think that my parents might find all those in the loft one day. Oh, I remember Jesus. when you did this shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember the uh, the death of Superman being like a massive event.
0: Yeah. like well, I mean, that they, was... they kept him dead as well. Yeah. I mean, they did a because re- they ceased publication on Superman for a couple of months as well. Yeah, I mean, just I was to like, really shit people up.
1: Reign of the Superman. I was fucking there, man. I was like, which one is it? Uh, it's, it's kind of a bit of. A, it was never going to be the Steel character, which was kind of annoying. They, no, because so,
0: their thing with that was that it was the idea that his spirit transferred into the body, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so like, oh, this ain't gonna fly. And <laughs> even at that age, I was like, I know this. This it won't work like that. <laughs> sort
0: of, it was weird because they made no secret that none of them were the actual superman but at the same time they gave you just enough needle of doubt it's like you knew that the eradicator was the eradicator and
1: yeah it was kind of like so you kind of read along thinking. Well well how, how's this going to play out but when they did the switch with the cyborg superman being a bad guy yeah that was a i didn't see that coming
0: See, I read it backwards because the thing that got me into comics was Superman number 82. I was on holiday in Spain and there was a newspaper article on the back. One of those Spanish newspapers done for English people. Yeah. And just on the back, it had a thing about Superman coming back to life. I'd read a year before that they were killing him. I was like, that's interesting. But the idea of him coming back to life really captured my imagination. Ah, okay. How the fuck are they going to bring him back? And of course, I bought that and he'd already been brought back to life. He just wasn't Superman. eh? Yeah. So I then started going backwards think uh
1: we found out like on a it with the news broke in the uk like on a monday or a tuesday or wednesday so it's definitely during the week and everyone was saying oh, i'll go down like in shops to the comic shop and get the, the black issue with the armband and i was like oh, fucking hell it's like about 20 people gonna go down and get this thing like people who weren't even into comics but they wanted it for collector's reasons or whatever well, i, I mean that's bothered. what
0: started that speculator boom wasn't it in the 90s
1: yeah that didn't do us any favors
0: no <laughs> but it's also a lesson we seem to repeat every so often.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean they kind of it's it's one of those things like you, you get a bit of a boost of sales out of it, but then the boost you seem to get will kill off readership like slowly because they only stay around so long for gimmicks before they're like, oh fuck it, I'm have had enough of this. It, What's yeah, short term gains for long term losses.
0: I it? you only have to go on the uh, one of the selling groups on Facebook. And see how much people are snapping them all up for, them, marking them up. Really, mm. it's unlike me. I mean, I get why comic shops let them buy them because it's a guaranteed sale. Yeah, <laughs> and they're a business in themselves. But at the same time, I kind of like these poor fuckers who are genuinely interested.
1: <laughs> I mean, i literally just—I'm there to, to read, read them and make them. I've kind of—I think I'm more interested in making comics than I am reading them. Uh, if gonna—if I was pushed on it, because I, I love the, the the process of creating them.
0: Uh, do you you find through creating that you read less now or because obviously creating comics is a massively time consuming thing
1: yeah definitely I mean I'm currently uh, putting the art together for uh, Project Hoax which was a Kickstarter that was recently just funded done by Samuel George London and I've just locked into creative mode it's literally like morning uh, lunch after work weekends any spare time I've got is just purely focused on getting this stuff done so I've, I've got like a an InDesign document with all the pages laid out on it and as i as i kind of work on a page it gets updated on the document so i can keep looking at it and say right i need to do x y and z on that page that page is nearly done and it's a real kind of drive to kind of i can see where everything's going what needs to be done whereas at the start of the project where it's a great big white sheet it's a bit more intimidating but now every step you're kind of doing, getting bits done on a page and taking it closer to the end. It's really, it's a great feeling to see it slowly fill up and, and, and get completed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, love it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more terrifying than a blank page.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, we always get told, like, you should just, like, scribble over it or just give it a wash or something just to get going. Yeah. I think it's once like... you get a bit of confidence under your belt, there's it, really no fear. You just, fuck it, go for it.
0: I think once you learn to accept the fact that you will make mistakes and the mistakes are okay.
1: Yeah. It's like I watch my son draw and he would be working something and then one mistake. And it's like, well, there's the, that paper. goes in the bin. It's like, yeah. Mine's the you, same. You, you, you've not even drawn on like one of that paper and you are getting rid of it. And it's like a tiny little man. And like, you haven't done little, something wrong on him. And it's like, don't worry about it. Just, carry on do something else in the corner but they, they they don't seem to have that ability to to just plug on with it
0: yeah that's it it's just kind of like i fucked it it's done
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and nowadays obviously we got the digital angle so like i'm that guy that says oh i'll fix it in post so many times like i've, I've fucked up a bit of a drawing or done the inking wrong i said like, oh, i'll fix it in photoshop and just scan it in and then get the white pen and just like get rid of that or move an eye or do something
0: yeah i mean i'm a late convert <coughs> to digital because um i've only just well, i got a whack on a couple of months ago yeah so i've s- scanned in all my ones that i drew and i decided to use those as a thing for coloring and just for going back and tweaking things slightly
1: um i've got um, the i've made the funds ready to make the jump to digital but i'm not doing it quite yet uh i want to get a couple of things clear before i make the jump but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it, it. I just don't want it to kind of be that crutch that you're relying so heavily on the digital that yeah, I keep on doing that, do it in post thing. I do that yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah, it's, it takes the danger away a little bit. <laughs> yeah. In, you know, in a weird way. It's, it's not like we're running into burning buildings or something, but. Exactly. <laughs> that slight anxiety that you're going to fuck it up slightly.
1: But I, can, I can get a like, blast away with a pencil. Like, I, I draw like an A4 sketchpad, like an A4 metal clipboard with paper on it and then ink it, scan it in and then put all my pages together bit by bit Right. so I can work quite quickly with a pencil so I'm wondering how that will affect going to digital
0: Yeah I must admit I still prefer doing it analogue for want of a better term than than digital but it's a different sort of mind frame of drawing Yeah. even with it being directly in front of me it's not I've got a whack on that you draw you see what you draw in At the end Mm. of the pen, kind of thing. Yeah. Rather than watching it on a screen, which I could never get used to.
1: See, I can do that with coloring, but I can't get it quite right with drawing. It it doesn't. It never looks right because, like I say, you're kind of your hands off and you're not looking what you're drawing at. And for coloring, I can do it fine. This I can get what I want, but drawing, I can never quite get the look I'm after by having one hand drawing to the on like out of sight and then looking at the screen. It never quite works.
0: No. it's a million miles away from copying comics on your bedroom floor as a kid
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like one of my first design jobs years ago the first time i got a full-time design job i came in and then the it was just the whack-on with a pen and i was like where's the mouse and it's like, (laughs) you don't use them you just use that i was like oh fuck (laughs) but once you get going like there's people I've worked with and they use mouse and like they complain about like carpal tunnel syndrome and their arm ache and their hand ache and I've never had anything working with a, a stylus and a pen. It's so much easier.
0: Yeah. I know some artists have had it with you know, drawing that way where they've been told they've got to rest for two weeks.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of I, I don't there must be something that I'm doing that they're not or vice versa. Because I never really seem to have that kind of trouble, there was one thing I read the other week, and it's kind of seems to latched on to me that's uh amateur artists make lots of small strokes where master artists make long continuous strokes, and I much them it depends on kind of like the art style. I don't think that's like one size fits all, but no. since then I've tried to kind of like rather than doing lots of little bitty, try and make long. Smooth strokes on the drawing. (laughs) I'll probably get shit for saying that, but it wasn't me. I was quoting someone else. So,
0: So with creating Vanguard, what stylistically and that, what are your sort of comic influences? What sort of, what was the comic that you read that you were like, "That's what I want to do."
1: uh, God, that's a that's a tricky one.
0: I Nobody think it's always it going to be easy <laughs> I
1: always wanted to kind of like do uh it seems to be a kind of common story now, like the u k after kind of like there's been some big societal upset and like a band of heroes trying to bring it back <clears throat> and I first started thinking, well, I could tell that story, but I started working up a backstory like how it got to that state, and I thought, well, I really want to tell that story of like how everything goes from being okay to being kind of crappy, and I thought I needed a generic like team of superheroes, which are kind of made up using like standard archetypes. I think I've like borrowed heavily like from the the Justice League and Avengers stuff. But uh, I love that kind of whole team dynamic, like the Claremont stuff you used to get in the X Men, and it's one of the things I'm trying to incorporate in in my writing. With when, when you've got like a, a single character you've got to build up the, the back the cast around them whereas at a team you've already got the the players there ready to kind of bounce off another, one another's personality so instantly you one one person likes hot food the other one hates hot food and that that kind of tension there begins obviously you don't do food yeah. to whatever <laughs> but like one person loves killing it's like got no problem whatsoever another character absolutely despises it and shouldn't should, thinks you shouldn't be doing that whatsoever, and from there you can kind of build those characters up, and they they define each other through their the contrasts. So, like seeing kind of uh, <clears throat> like better writers than me do that with other characters in in team books was a real kind of yeah, that's that's the way you do it, and
0: yeah, yeah, because it's kind of rare for a small press creator to go the team route. A lot seem to go for the you know one or two characters. Yeah.
1: As I can understand
0: that. Sort of jumping in thing. And I think that's what makes Vanguard stand out a bit more.
1: Oh, cheers. Yeah, against
0: others have... is that, you know, it is that team dynamic. It's not, and, you know, with your bloodlust for not being afraid to kill them <laughs> off as well. There's <laughs> a genuine tension with reading it.
1: <laughs> yeah. When you got a team book and they're kind of, if you have a single hero, you don't have that drama on the road because all his uh, cast won't know about that life if he's got like a secret identity like Peter Parker. Yeah. It's kind of, you got to kind of work harder to kind of get them together. Whereas there's a team of six characters fighting bad guys and they're all bouncing off one another. I find that dynamic quite interesting. Like the fact you, you they're forced to work with each other in like in the first arc, essentially they're all government employees and they've come from different branches like the secret service or the army or the police. And they work together because they're all service people and they're, they're doing a job. In the second one, there were kind of a group of indiv- individuals that all have goals that sort of align, but they're not all going for the same thing. They just happen to be traveling to the sort of roughly the same direction. So they've, they've kind of worked together to to accomplish that. And yeah. there's going to be friction as some want some things and some want the other. So uh, it's interesting writing those two different, two different dynamics.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Like I say, it's, do you find that challenging as a writer sometimes? Do you sort of play scenes out in your head as you're writing them, or do you just straight I, down on paper?
1: No, I think, as I've mentioned, I went to like a, a an evening with Michael Golden, and he gave like writing tips. And it's one I've read from a, a couple of established authors, and that's always have the end goal sorted, the, the destination of where you're going to, where your story's going to, and if everything's going towards there you can't really go wrong. Yeah. You know I mean, the, the only thing I've found is because uh, I've been doing this for years and I've got, right. I know what I'm doing with the ending. And I know how it all comes, kind of comes together. I'm just getting the characters and filling in the bits on the way. Their journey is when I see another piece of uh, uh, like a film or a TV show, or a comic book, and it does something similar and you think, Oh fuck, what am I going to do? Do I keep doing it? Cause by the time I get there, that's going to be old or do yeah. I try and course correct and do something different. But then if I do that, I'm I'm changing what I'm doing because of something else do you know what I mean yeah. say the the end of the comic ended with an asteroid coming down and then that, kept, that was a big thing so thought, oh, what do I do do I completely rewrite that or it, it, it's tricky
0: yeah that's it because you know nobody's or not nobody but you know there'll be a large portion of people that are just kind of like yeah he's just doing that because that asteroid movie was popular yeah it's kind of like, you'd be a... like I've had that in line for 10 years it's like yeah, yeah. whatever
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like you, you're kind of working towards a goal and you have to set everything up. I mean, if you set enough kind of elements up in the story and you're doing your job, the readers should have a vague idea of where it's going. Yeah. So when it gets to that ending, it's not like you didn't just pull out your ass. Like, oh, you didn't just jump along and kill the, the Night King. <laughs> it's like they, they should know that it's kind of it's going this way. So... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I kind of, I love doing the storytelling aspect and putting the pages up, putting the comics up and seeing what people, how they react. And because in the last issue of Vanguard 16, that's on the website and Comic House now, the, one of the main characters from the first <clears throat> arc, Pendragon, his daughter's killed by one of the, his other daughters unknowingly. So <clears throat> I've sort of set a course where father and daughter have different ideological aims, and they can—they're kind of on a collision course with one another. That's cool. That's so, interesting. Yeah, and the one daughter doesn't know what's happened to the other, so uh, it got all that grief and stuff to deal with. Yeah. So I, I've got it all kind of planned out, but I've got to write it, and it's—I want to do that justice because so much is going to hinge on it. I've—I've I've got to get
0: it right. So no pressure. <laughs> So sort of you got an endgame insight or is it
1: Yeah, oh there's an endgame. I'm I'm slowly just gonna work my way towards right, it and have fun. And during the downtime like now I i take on other projects that I want to do. It's, it's nice sometimes just to, to be the All artist and not have to worry about uh the writing side of it. Just yeah. do the art. I honestly think there's there can be so much to be said for uh creative teams where you have a writer and an artist because I really feel like the sum of the parts, you can produce something so much better. I know like yeah. the single creator, the vision, you can have like a a great product because there's this one person's input. But I feel like when you a write an artist on the same page and they're bouncing stuff back towards them, you can really get something special.
0: Yeah. So does the writer side, do you ever take over a little bit when you're doing...
1: Working with other as,
0: people? As an artist for hire kind of thing. Are you ever just firing something back? I mean, like, you know, would this work better as...
1: You know, yeah, I know
0: this is your thing, but
1: uh, I've gone through this on on previous projects where I've I've sort of seen something and I was like, that doesn't really work, or that needs a bit more p- pulling out. Like, uh, if I'm reading this if, as a reader, I came to this, I wouldn't know what was going on, or there might be some amb- ambiguity. So I'd say maybe we need to in a panel or two, just to kind of pull this moment out to explain it a little more. And uh, usually, it. it it goes down fine. Like, okay. If if, genuinely, if someone came to me who's working on a project and said, I think this would be better if we did this, you take that under advisement because you're both working. You both want the the best out of what you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, it doesn't always work, but, uh, when you get like a a good kind of creative pairing, yeah, they're they're forced to be reckoned with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, so, ah, sorry, got cramp. Right.
1: <laughs> My throat is getting hoarse. So I don't think I've done this much talking in ages.
0: That's because you can't get wording with them, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, what do you look for in a comic as a reader and as a creator? Do you look at comics? Surely can you still look at them from a fan point of view or as somebody who creates comics, are you a bit more... Does I that think, mindset come in as well?
1: I have been hit with that curse of like once you start understand, understanding stories and how things are broken apart, that you watch things or read things and you think, well, this can only go one of certain ways. And when it doesn't or it's not well done, I'm kind of like, oh, God. Like <laughs> that Kickstarter story I was talking about previously. I sort of like read the first few pages, and I go,es "Well, this setup just isn't working." Like, uh, not saying there's a formula for stories, but when certain things are done a certain way, it's like, "Well, this is directionless; it's not going anywhere." There's that that definite curse of knowing how things play out. That kind of when it doesn't play out like it should, or or in a in a good way, it's yeah. always really unsettling when stuff catches you off guard, it's absolutely fantastic. That's the other side of it. Like the, the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. Yeah. I remember reading the books on the train and it was winter. It was fucking horrible outside the train. And I read the Red Wedding and I was like, fucking hell. And I had to go back and read the chapter again because I just couldn't believe what it had done to all these massive characters. Uh, and it was just, the whole kind of story kind of, he flipped it on his head and sort of reimagined it. And it was fantastic. George R. R. Martin's writing the way he handles characters and stuff like that. Everything serves the plot and it's to tell a good story. There's no one's got plot armor. It's uh, yeah. Just the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, that seems to be, I mean, that's my problem with a lot of long form storytelling at the moment in comics and especially in TV. And that is that you'll have characters doing things they would never do yeah purely to service dragging the story out
1: yeah it's kind of mm, that's kind of like the walking dead tv series that i can't really uh, the first series i'll argue with anyone the first series of the walking dead is like one of the best first series of a television show ever it's yes. fucking dynamite it's like 30 40 minute long episodes and it's just all killer like there's not a moment wasted on screen time it's so well done and then to see what it's turned into
0: yeah, I mean, I gave up at the end of not the last series, the series before. I stuck with it for as long as I could, and it sort of reached a point where I was like, that ended pretty much the way I'd hoped the show would end. Yeah. Kind of thing. It, so I'm just not going to bother watching from now. I
1: remember I mean, watching it, and like, suddenly, like an episode, like a couple of seasons ago, firearms were the rare, rarest commodity, and they, no one had bullets. And then the next minute, they're having these massive gun battles where they're just standing stock still. Yeah, like two lines of people shooting at each other, and I was like, "Who the fuck's writing this? This doesn't make any sense."
0: It's just it's so plodding now as well. It's yeah. the same thing. It's how many times can we see them get somewhere safe, make it safe, lose it, get yeah. somewhere safe, make it safe, lose it, or go out for a food run. Somebody does something like a twat,
1: <laughs> and then they get stitches. Everyone up. It's, That's it. I mean, I think they knocked it on the head with the comic because I presume it's like, "Well, I can't do anything more with this." So, uh, again, Robert Kirkman's exactly this, time, this type of writer I like where the this, this story is so dynamic and it's never stilted and it always changes and characters are not safe and uh, it's brilliant reads. Like, Invincible is this one of my favourite comics ever. Yeah. Because that, that, if only Invincible had been around when I was, like, in my early teens, I would have been all over it as I was when I grew up. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic comic.
0: Yeah, Invincible's one I've only read a couple of issues of. It's on my list to sort of get stuck into properly, but it's my, just one of
1: those key pile ratchet. of
0: things to get stuck into properly just seems to keep growing it and just
1: keeps ratcheting up. And you think, Christ, where's he gonna take this? And then a character would change from where you think he was a villain into a good guy, or vice versa. And their reasoning for doing so is so on point. You're like, Well, yeah, that's what they would do. It yeah. makes perfect sense for them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely it's... that's a, a series to check out.
0: There was a point with comics where ca- characters would just random. It was like wrestling. It's like, you're a good yeah. wrestler this week. Next week, you're a bad wrestler. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular story? Nope. Well, there's one of the, uh, nearer the,
1: the end of Invincible, I think like two thirds of the way through, he fights a character, it's a dino, dino something. And he says, look, if we do this, I can power like America for like till the rec- end of recorded history. And he says, "Well, I can't let you do this." And they fight, and the bad guy does it. You think he you're thinking like he he like uh, makes uh, Las Vegas all glass or something. I can't quite remember. Basically, like wipes out all the life there. And uh, at the end of the story, it works out that what he was doing, even though it's monstrous, was to the benefit of everyone else. And Invincible uh, Mark starts realizing that shit. Maybe there's another way rather than like doing this thing of hanging around, waiting for a supervillain to turn up, why don't I be a bit more proactive and try and take steps for it not to get that far. And yeah. maybe this dino guy's got a point. So it's interesting. Cause like then he starts turning against the, the other characters. You think it's kind of like a villain of the week thing. They just got to stand there wait until a bad guy turns up and then they stop him. So it kind of challenges a lot of superhero comics and what they, they do and, I I always like comics that kind of change and move along. I'm not a big fan of... I say I'm not a big fan, but I love Spider-Man as a a teenager, an awkward teenager. That's that's what I always want to read him as.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was... When I was into Batman, I always wanted that to organically go, that Batman aged and was eventually replaced by Nightwing, and Robin became Nightwing, and you it all kept moving forward. But that's just not the nature of comics. Yeah. Certainly... mainstream comics
1: the batman beyond cartoon like when bruce is an old man so that's fucking brilliant
0: yeah
1: bruce is an old man is great i even like really liked him in uh, kingdom come Mike wade yeah i'd like the bruce in that who'd kind of he'd set up like an army of super super powered individuals all kind of working under him that seemed like what the character
0: would do yeah, I mean, I always preferred that sort of older Bruce to the Frank Miller older Bruce. Yeah, didn't really... You know, as, as lauded as Dark Knight Returns is. I always thought it was a little bit off Batman. There were elements of the Batman I know in it, but a lot of it seemed a little bit... I don't think that's the way Batman would have gone for me. Yeah, it's.
1: I think it was kind of like that was... It seemed to show, like, we can do something different with these characters, and it kind of pointed out a direction that we could go in rather than being... The, the de facto item of like this is what we should do now it was like yeah it was I'm with you I kind of I enjoy it but it's not like this is this is my Batman and the ones after that I fucking hate them not a well, fan at all
0: as Frank slowly <laughs> descended into becoming crazy Frank
1: yeah <laughs>
0: Good on, Frank. kind of wonder how much he was being reined in
1: yeah <laughs> Because yeah, I used to love Sin City three hundred, I've got the trade and the originals of that, and it's just over the top machismo. It's just great. No one could take it. I don't know how anyone could take it seriously because it's not supposed to be that taken seriously. But uh, yeah, loved it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sort of you know as you go away from superhero comics you start looking at sin city was one of the ones my only issue with sin city is frank miller now retrospectively kind of puts a different tinge on some of sin city okay makes it a little less comfortable reading in places and oh, i'm not really
1: oh shit it's, it's, just,
0: <laughs> it's only minor things and it still holds up as a piece of its time and i'm yeah i'm not one of these people that would retroactively go back and be like, you need to change this now because you know, we now live in this age where this yeah, is this no longer sensibilities
1: don't work yeah that's like you know, fucking Victorians defacing statues because it, uh, it's like, no, don't do not do that. Just because it affects, it offends you for these couple of years that this society sort of has these opinions. They will change. And you just kind of, you've got to look at it like those old Tom and Jerry cartons. They, they they have like racist overturns in part. It's best just to take it on the chin. You have a message saying, look, this is what the attitudes were at the time. And we move on, trying to erase history and rewrite it
0: to say it was never like that. Well, no, that's it. If, if anything, yeah. it's a testament <clears throat> of look how far we've come.
1: Exactly, yeah. It's that old thing of, like, if you forget the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah, You kind exactly. of got to own up to mistakes and say, that's what we were and we've moved on. But, yeah.
0: Got heavy well, there. But... <laughs> well, we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of bringing it to a close then, um, on a positive note, so what comics would you recommend to be either you know,
1: it's oh just God.
0: your all-time go-to I'm guessing Invincible is going to be one
1: Invincible, yeah, that's absolutely dynamite I mean, there's certainly single issues I could pick out, I mentioned Kingdom by John McNaught, which is an absolutely amazing piece of work uh, the Rachel Smith stuff, the Reckless Boys God, there's so much stuff I could pick out, like your you're previous guest, John Tucker I was late coming to the party with John, but I have just loved his stuff uh, I took all these books into work, and there's a couple of people at work who read comics, and I was like, check these out, and they freaking loved them. They went down a storm.
0: Yeah, John was one. I missed him because he tabled first at True Believers last year at the race course, Mm. and the problem with doing it at the race course was I just couldn't get around everybody long enough to buy stuff. Yeah. Um, Which the beauty of last year was I managed to stop by a bit more smaller venue and pick a bit more stuff up. So I ordered John's stuff in one of his bundles. Nice. The one he did, where he put it on for five hundred pound and then had the awesome podcast discount <laughs> to knock it down.
1: I'm really proud of the stuff we've done on the awesome uh, podcast because I, I didn't know what we was doing with it, and the fact this shone a lineup on so many creators and kind of brought people together and helped people get their comic out. That's just more than we could ever ask for. It oh is. man,
0: definitely. I mean. I've said to Tony and Vince, and probably you, in messages before. What you guys do is amazing. You shine a light on an industry that is largely overlooked in a way that it shouldn't be. It should get as much attention as authors or TV or film stuff does, but because it's just generally interesting. And you guys should do so much to shine a light on that. And with the awesome comics talk page,
1: yeah, just building that
0: community and creating a resource where you know you can go to and be like. I've done this. I'd appreciate you guys reading it and giving me some feedback, yeah. or you know, just even twats like me coming on and being like, I need to fill my <laughs> mailer up, so <laughs> recommend some comments to me, bitches.
1: <laughs> it's the fact that like people have put all this time and putting this work together, they've got it all ready for print, they've printed it, they've got to the, the event, got all the signage, put it all up. And nine times out of ten, they're not doing it for profit. And it's just amazing. It's like those comics used to make in school when I was a mate just like yeah. on a bigger version and I love it.
0: That's it, I mean I'd say 95% of the people I've met through doing True Believers or starting to go to more cons again 95% of them are doing it because they genuinely love it Yeah, and that comes across in what they do and you know, it, some of them might not be the most polished thing but you can see it in there and that, has, that covers a lot of cracks for me as well
1: And when you see creators growing as well Like from book to book or project to project, that's another thing, so rewarding. Yeah, you sort of see like a diamond and rougher, that person's gonna be fucking dynamite. And when they grow and grow, it's fantastic to watch, it's really energizing.
0: That's it, it's just an amazing thing. But, and like I say, you guys do an amazing thing, just shining a light on that for people. Sort of wrapping it up, then where can people find you online? you can find me online
1: uh, at Vango comic. We can read all 16 issues of the comic and you can find me on Twitter at Vango comic, which you know, I'm usually putting up animated gifs or talking crap.
0: <laughs> that's what Twitter's for. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've tried to not do any political stuff anymore because so that's kind of boring.
0: Yeah. It never ends well either. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> just,
1: just... just like any as times I've retweeted stuff. I like the, oh, I don't do that. Just have comics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's risky enough sometimes, yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cheers for that, Dan. Nice one. Cheers. And that was my talk with Dan Butcher. Uh, I'd like to thank Dan again for coming on the episode. I uh, really enjoyed talking comics with him and hearing his answer to the question, why comics? Um, in case you missed him in the episode, places you can find Dan online, he's on Twitter at at Vanguard Comic. Uh, you can find and read Vanguard Comic online at VanguardComic.com. Uh you can find the Awesome Comics Podcast at awesomecomics.podbean.com. Uh, new episodes go up every Monday. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's a great podcast, well worth listening to. Um, not sure what other shows Dan's got coming up this year, but he's definitely at Leamington on the 5th of October. Um, so if you're in that sort of area, check it out and pop down to say hi, buy some comics and stuff. Um Links for where you can find me and True Believers and the Nerds Who Haunt Themselves. You can find Nerds Who Haunted Themselves on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Haunted Nerds. You can find all the previous episodes on Podbean, um, which is hauntednerds.podbean.com. I'm pretty sure. Um, you can also find all the previous episodes, including the ones that aren't on Podbean, on... Uh, the True Believers website, which is oktruebelievers.com. Okay, uh, you can find me online at, at token nerd and on Facebook. Uh, my drawing page is Stuart Thinks You Can Draw, um, which is facebook.com forward slash Stuart Draw. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it for the links. Next week will be the second episode of And Why Not, where I will be joined by Jonathan Melville. And we will be talking about the 1990 seminal masterpiece, Tremors. Uh, If you're not familiar with Jonathan Melville, he wrote the book Seeking Perfection, The Unofficial Guide to Tremors, which is a fantastic book that talks about the making of the Tremors movies in depth, certainly for the first four and then a bit on the fifth one, and the TV series as well. Uh, Well worth checking out, uh, but there'll be more of that next week. Until next week, keep reading awesome comics, keep creating awesome things, and keep spreading the four-colour word. Thanks for listening. Bye.